Welcome to non-obvious so with Hugh Hansen. Yes, I second that welcome. And welcome to you, Herjing. Uh, it's great to have you in here. Uh, okay, um, starting out, uh, where were you born? I'm born in uh, uh, Yangtze River site uh, in, uh, in China. It's a city, one of the early city open to the West in the uh, 1840s, right after the Opium War. <laughs> oh. Now, how did you end up in the United States? Um, oh, no. Where did I... you go to? You went to school in, in Chinese school, correct? Like elementary and oh, yes. high yes. school and yes. all that stuff. Yes, I, 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 I went to all the schools in, uh, in, in, in China, you know, and I went to a university in Beijing. Uh, and once I found out actually quite interesting, all, almost all the schools I, I went to, the properties are actually all somehow related to, uh, to, to, to Catholic church or, or Christian church. Um, part of because probably the, the city actually was open to the West a long time ago. The, the high school I was in, it's uh, have actually has a 150 years um, old history. Um, Jing, uh, Jing, I so, think God, I think God is directing your life. I think that's what that means. That's probably that. That's why I end up in uh, in Notre Dame in the United States. <laughs> have the uh, honor, yeah, and the fortune right, so to. How uh, did you end up in? Uh, what age did you move to the United States? Probably with your parents, maybe or what? No, yeah, 20, I when I was in the States in 1997, I was 23 years old. So pretty pretty right. old guy when I was in yeah. you know first yeah. time so in the U.S. Why did you go to the United States? Um, it's at, at that time, it's, it's pretty uh, straightforward uh, decision, right? You know, US really meant something very, very different, right? Very something full of hope, promises. So lots of young people, um, you know, in my generation, even for now, right, once it comes to the US uh, for, for some new opportunities for, uh, for study, for higher degrees or for career opportunities. Hold on, we're getting a lot of background noise. Uh... Is that, is that from your area? All right, okay, it's gone now. Um, so what did your parents think of you going to the United States? Um, I think they're very proud of me. Uh, it wasn't really uh, uh, something common. Um, so they're, I think that's made them proud. Okay. Um, and where, where did you go when you, at first in the United States? The first city I land is Los Angeles. And then I quickly transferred to Chicago and then South Bend, Indiana. All right, so this was, to go, this was to go to Notre Dame Law School? Yes. Okay. And three years there, and then um, got my uh, JD and then moved to uh, California. Right. Became a patent attorney. Hmm. How did you... Um, uh, <clears throat> pick Notre Dame. Um, I, I guess there's some calling. <laughs> um, but to be honest, at, at that time I was, you know, choosing the the, the dif uh, different schools, and then Notre Dame is one of the really really good ones. So um, I picked it, you know, probably out of um, admiration, out of curiosity, and I was really grateful. Uh, for um, the acceptance by the school. Yeah, and what type of courses did you take? Did, what were you focused on or were you just taking everything or what? Um, it was a really regular uh, JD curriculum. And one thing actually I find out I, lo I love most include the moot court and the trial advocacy, even though you know, I, um, I never end up being a trial attorney in the United States, but I found that the trial advocacy and the moot court are really the most fascinating uh, courses for me. The very American, I really reflect something quintessential to the American litigation system. So uh, undergraduate in China, you were, what was your degree? Uh, were you in science? Were you, uh, what did you focus on in uh, I My major was uh, physics, actually. No. Um, I was uh, studying physics. A lot of my uh, 
classmates. Uh, they uh, they all came to the United States for um, higher degrees uh, in the physics or electrical engineering or software. And uh, many of them end up being uh, as a great uh, engineers. Uh, some of them are uh, physicists. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, and uh, all right, so now you're uh, in law school, you graduate and you, why did you go out to the coast? Um, it's probably because of the copyright law. <laughs> you know, I graduated in um, the year I was interviewing in 1999. At the time, the Napster case um, was a very famous case. And that's probably right, the very first time uh, the, 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 the technology clashed with the copyrights. That's one of the most uh, probably landmark cases when we were in the law school. So I was very intrigued by what's going on uh, in Silicon Valley. And I was fortunate to get a job from, um, from Fenwick in the West. Fenwick was defending Napster at that time. So that's why um, I, uh, I, I, I picked um, that job uh, and went and, to uh, Palo Alto. How long were you there? I was there for about two years. Um, then I realized, wow, you know, writing patents, uh, it's, a very, it's a very sophisticated job, really requires a lot of um, um, you know, the different set of skills. Um, I got some very solid skills but I, I feel like it's a job too, too quiet. <laughs> I, I want something probably more, um, more full of more challenges. And plus there are so many lawyers in the, in the US. You know, for, um, for a Chinese guy like me, I thought, well, I better just um, uh, find something more interesting, more challenging using whatever I learned um, from Notre Dame or Silicon Valley and doing something interesting. So I, um, I came back to Asia. I got my first job um, in Asia with a Baker McKenzie. And that's how I started my uh, China IP career. I know I put it on mute. So, uh, okay. And where did you go? Where did you go in China? I actually, um, I was, uh, I spent uh, about uh, seven, eight years in Hong Kong, uh, part of China. That's not That's China. Where the <laughs> Wow. You might as well <laughs> have been. Speak. You might as well have been in New York, frankly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I stayed in Hong Kong for about seven, eight years. That's actually the headquarters of uh, Baker McKenzie's, uh, like the China IP practice. Uh, it's also very close to Shenzhen, right? Which the which the city you visited before um, a couple of times, and very close to Hong Kong. And then my first case in uh, in uh, the, in Baker McKenzie is actually cross the border. You know, went to uh, went to Shenzhen and dealing with something about um, um, a, 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 a trademark counterfeiting case um, in Shenzhen. So that's my first exposure, you know, to the real practice in China. Well, in Hong Kong, oh. did you get the feeling you were in uh, England or anything else? Was it still very uh, influenced by uh, colonial days or what? <laughs> um, I don't know what's the colonial influence, but it definitely um, very um, worldly place. And it actually has a lot of very traditional Chinese components, which we don't even see that often in the mainland China. Um, obviously it's very uh, you know, Western and a lot of British components. And we, we actually spoke English um, most of the time as our working language. Um, it's probably much less so these days, um, but uh, even in 2002, between 2002, 2008, we still use uh, English a lot in in, in office. Um, well, when when was the first time you learned English? We actually, I was lucky. Um, I don't know whether because of the city I was born to was sort of opened the West earlier. I I learned English um, all this alphabets when I was in the I don't know year year nine actually. Oh. It's pretty early. It's, a, it's not very typical in China though. Um, it's very, it's just a public school. Somehow the, the school offered the English curriculum uh, at the year nine it was very unusual. In the 19, like 1980 
384. Okay, so part of your right now, I'm just curious, in a week, how, what percentage are you speaking English in that week? Uh, back then or I mean now? Now, now professionally. Professionally, um, right now mostly still in, um, in, in Chinese. Probably, you know, only when we are jumping on the call, you know, with you, with other friends or colleagues or clients in the U.S., then we, you know, speak English. It's um, okay. maybe ten percent. Okay. Uh, and uh, all right, let's. So now you're back in uh, in China. You go you go to Hong Kong, and then. Uh, Shenzhen, where did you go from Hong Kong? Go, uh, I, I went from uh, Hong Kong to Shenzhen for, for lots of work, for lots of uh, this, uh, China IP cases. Um, that sometimes actually when I, when I, when I you know, blind my, 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 probably had produced this bias or prejudice right, against Shenzhen <laughs> between 2002 to 2008, because all I was doing with, in Shenzhen is all somehow dealing with the infringement or counterfeits. Um, so I probably really underestimated the huge potential of that city. Now, you know, 20, almost 20 years later, you know, um, Hugh, when I brought you there, I think two years ago, right? <laughs> well, you know, none of us actually, I, I did not really expect the, the way Shenzhen turned up when I, uh, when I was starting my China IP practice in 2002, 2003. So that's a kind of a cost of IP practice. So explain uh, to our listeners uh, what it's like now, Shenzhen. That... Wow. Um, it's, I don't know what's a, the, the best uh, comparison. Um, it's uh, now almost 20 million uh, people uh, has all this probably the most leading tech companies uh, in China or even the world. You all know the big names like Huawei or Tencent or DJI, uh, if you play those uh, Jones uh, in the US, they all came out of here. And then it's, uh, it's said to be the center of manufacturing of for the whole world. But now it's uh, way bigger than just manufacturing. Lots of R&D, lots of designs, and uh, the whole city is really booming. Um, so that's just all right, a so where, um, where did you go from there? Beijing? Um, yes, then I moved from uh, Hong Kong to Beijing in uh, 2010. And soon after I moved to Beijing with my fam family, uh, we, um, you know, I decided that, well, uh, it's probably uh, at you know, the time I should try out to build my own practice. Um, so I left this uh, very, very good law firm, Big and McKenzie. I'm very thankful for all the training I got from there. That we got a lot of friends. Uh, but now, since I moved back to Beijing, I just uh, started uh, developing my own practice. I jo joined a, um, a smaller firm, a boutique firm, which is a really good one, CY Partners. Uh, started building the practice. Actually, the first marketing trip. I, um, I, I had after building my own practice is uh, coming to uh, your conference, Fordham uh, International IP Conference. So, <laughs> I think uh, 2011. So I think what you're saying is uh, my conference was the key to your success. That's the, all the beginning. It's really <laughs> <Yes>. representative. <laughs> I still okay. remember how overwhelming how the first conference was to me. It's like, what's this? What was this? He, Professor Hugh Hansen talking about? <laughs> how can how could he say those things to those uh, great judges? Mm. Mm. Uh, the, the judges say the same thing now. Um, uh, okay, so. When you say you started your own firm, how big was it? One or two, three lawyers or what? Well, I did not really start the, my, my own firm back then, 2011. I rejoined a, a very already established boutique firm. Then I, I had to spend two years there. And then I realized I probably like the full service firm better. And at that time, uh, the firm, a new firm, uh, 
Anjie, A-N-J-I-E, the law firm was being uh, built up by a bunch of others at the, almost at the very beginning. So uh, I decided to uh, move in, join them, and because they have also corporate lawyers, antitrust lawyers, uh, commercial litigation lawyers, we thought, well, this, uh, this is good, you know, let's uh, build something new. So I joined uh, there in the 2013. That's how, you know, that's sort of like a new stage for me to, to build the practice. Uh, I was there just with one associate, partner with others, starting the, the, the IP practice. And you built that up pretty quickly. Well, it took, um, it's not easy, right? Building a practice always take, uh, takes time. And um, I was there for about uh, seven years, uh, developed a team around like uh, 40, 50 people um, 2000, until 2020. And so in the middle of uh, COVID-19, uh, my partners, I mean, the people in my team, my partners and myself, we, uh, we actually made the, uh, a decision, which is quite bold. Um, we hope it's the right decision. We, uh, we decided to uh, start a, a firm of our own. Um, so that's how we started as a new firm called the GEN Law Firm. Uh, the Chinese Jiren really means uh, our own responsibility. Um, so that's how we uh, started. Now we have um, already, we have some other partners join. We have 70, almost 70 people in three cities, Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen. Uh, we, we, we just had our Shenzhen office and Shanghai office opened up. Uh, we are, we have all this IP practice, antitrust, data privacy, uh, environmental law, commercial litigation. And now we have a, a two corporate partners join us in Shanghai office. So this is truly a new law firm we started. Well, that's very exciting. Mm. <clears throat> so, so your practice, how would you characterize if someone has your practice of your firm? How, how wide is it? What, what, what are you focusing on? For me, my, um, sometimes I feel a little bit odd to, 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 to say to people said, wow, I'm, I'm a really like a China IP specialist. When I say specialist, I, uh, I know most of the, 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 the areas in IP, you know, patents, uh, trademark, and even copyrights and unfair competition. It's a little bit odd to say that. You know, if I'm a US lawyer, if I say that, people say I'm pretty a fake one. <laughs> but in China, <laughs> in China, we um, probably because of the IP practice relatively young, right? You know, our, our whole IP system just started from 1985. I was like the first generation IP lawyer in China. Uh, I, was, I was lucky to start as a patent attorney and then and I did a lot of a trademark work in Baker McKenzie. And then I was fortunate to, uh, to serve companies like MBA and others in the corporate, corporate work. So in a way, I am quite a, have a diverse practice. But seriously, these days, that, uh, because we have a really great group of partners, I, 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 I move more, I focus more on, uh, on patent-related work, anything related to, uh, to patent litigation and licensing and even the standard essential patents or the friend work. Uh, another area I actually love most um, is actually IP policy related uh, advocacy activities. That probably explains, you know, why, you know, Hugh, why I, uh, I love your conference, why I always come <laughs> to Fordham IP conference. <laughs> so now makes sense. Um, yeah, it does make sense. Uh, yeah. All right, so how much time do you spend uh, running the firm or administration as opposed to actually practicing because you're a big honcho in the firm right um right now one of my passion is to really coaching uh partners and the nurturing people you know uh, 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 lawyers are not really manageable this is uh I'm, I'm i'm saying this out of respect of lawyers um it's uh to me it's really more about uh, coaching them providing the guidance or more providing suggestions it's not about really teaching people or, 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 or ask them to follow certain orders. It's more about finding ways to empower them, empower them, you know, building the relationship with the partners. You know, one person, no matter how great one person is, right, the group partners uh, putting all this wisdom, you know, working hard together, that's uh, the, the true 
uh, a core of a competitiveness. So my time really spending on the, the management is really more, more about coaching people. Like even yesterday, um, I, I, I just, if I count, I, I know I spent like three hours coaching my partners on, uh, on their practice or how they you know, deal with the, the cooperation with other partners and how they you know, develop market. Uh, like even this morning, I spent one hour writing a, a very important advice and then spent another hour you know, having a conversation with another partner and uh, on, 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 on building the relationship with other partners. So that's um, maybe the flavor of uh, what my life is. But I really love it. Love the spending time on coaching the leading people. All right. So your client base, is it Chinese people? Is it U.S., Europe? Is it a mix? I mean, who are your clients? It's... Um, um, in the very beginning, um, probably all thanks to all my trips to uh, to to Fordham, <laughs> most of my clients are uh, are, um, are 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 international clients, um, uh, American clients or European clients, some Japanese clients. I have some really really good Japanese clients. I was really um, you know grateful to uh, to to help them uh, with some difficult matters in China. Uh, but over the years, one thing very interesting is that uh, more of uh, Chinese uh, IP uh, clients come to us for, uh, for quality service. Um, this probably explains that uh, all this improvement, all the progress, right, the China IP system has been making over the years. Um, I think our garments, our systems see that, wow, this, there's an inherent need of um, uh, enhancing the IP protection, even just for the sake of um, protecting the interests of domestic IP owners. So we, um, we, uh, our practice also reflect that. We're working on uh, cases for, uh, for some of the largest uh, Chinese uh, companies, some of the emerging, uh, the popular brands. Um, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just really interesting to see how our practice been, you know, evolving. I didn't really expect it. I was hoping this could happen, um, but uh, it definitely come much faster than we thought. Well, most of the time, uh, your clients own IP as opposed to they're worried about using someone else and infringing IP. Yeah, most of time, most of time, we, um, our our clients more on the uh, the, the owner side, you know, brand owners uh, or uh, patent owners or copyright owners. Mm. Okay. Um, all right. So, what are some noteworthy IP trends in China? It's um, we are actually in a very different uh, time. To be honest, I'm not even trying to search what are the the, the direction. Um, I've been doing this uh, China IP work um, since 2002. Uh, I wrote my face first paper you know, back in uh, 1995 when I was at school uh, in the Chinese law school. So I have almost uh, 30 years of exposure. Um, now, this is a completely new time now for in terms of the China IP. This is really correlated how China has been growing the powers. and. You know, China and the U.S. Um, sort of now have been talked about in a, like a, in an equal or in, in like a, in, the, in on the same table. We uh, we we at least we did not really anticipate this when when, when we started our legal career. So I think um, correlated to that, I think in China IP the trend is that um, um, there's something big is is going on. It's not either good or bad. I think some kind of big test is happening. Uh, a big thing um, that we are seeing, this is all this uh, friend cases that are happening in China. It's certainly controversial. To some extent, it's actually making people worried. Um, you know, the, it looks like uh, the Chinese court issued an anti-suit injunction in friend cases, uh, not just um, in favor of Chinese companies, right? Also in favor of like even non-Chinese companies. And then they it's, uh, it's causes like an anti-anti-suit injunction, not even anti-anti-anti-suit injunctions in the, in the final cases. So China, the Chinese court uh, is definitely sort of in the center of something quite a big. Mm -hmm. um, I sometimes depict this that, uh, well, um, 
we, we've been, I mean, Chinese IP system been growing so quickly. Uh, now it's probably the time to go through some uh, big test. Big testing, uh, when I say big test, it's really about in a way that uh, whether our course can really deliver um, the, the results that have this uh, world of global credibility and can really convince people, convince the big companies, the big firms, the big uh, owners or big inventors are willing to trust their big case in the hands of the Chinese courts. So this is uh, probably the, the, the one of the, um, the most significant things that we are uh, witnessing right now. Um, the second trend is more about um, like a, something related like WTO reforms, something more about the multilateral agreements. Um, I remember even the, when, when, I, when I was in your conference the first time, I, the, the, the session I always skip is the multilateral <laughs> the agreements part, the treaty. I feel like, wow, it's, it's really not that relevant to us. But now, to be honest, um, China is just, you know, actively thinking about joining the CPTPP, right? The Comprehensive Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership, you know, this new generation of uh, trade agreements. Um, it's uh, all the IP things is at the center of it. Um, and everybody knows that IP was a big, was a huge part of uh, US-China phase one trade agreements. And all this, um, um, the, the global impact or even geopolitical aspect, um, uh, uh, the thinking are all brought into the IP uh, matters. That's why it makes things uh, quite complicated now. Um, I'm actually even now stretching myself to learn a lot more about the international relations. Um, so don't be surprised next time I talk to you more, more like, um, you know, from, uh, more and more from a geopolitical aspect. Uh, I think that just because uh, the IP is no longer the kind of IP we've been talking about in the past uh, like decades. So there are aspects like the international. So what is the Chinese government thinking about dealing with the US or someone else? Uh, uh, what are the IP infrastructure doing now or the courts doing? Um, what about the communist party? So <clears throat> does someone have to think about all of these things about what the future is gonna hold or is there some way to predict the future uh, or is it just, uh, we don't know until it happens. Um, of course, it's uh, the future is always uncertain. One thing uh, I don't know um, if uh, Hugh, you're, you're happy to hear about it. Uh, at least in China, I, I think we will say at least the government declares very pro-IP. In the latest remarks uh, by our President Xi, you know, he said uh, protecting IP equals protecting innovation. Um, it's a really just equivalence of making there. It's being made there. Um, so the government's having this is uh, yeah, so sort of a yeah, I, I saw that, but then I'm wondering if he's talking about protecting it for Chinese or protecting it for everybody. Um, that's a part uh, that comes down to the, another aspect and also national security and the international competition are also linked to the to IP. And the government actually always um, has some concern about this IP misuse. It's um, I think in our dialogue in our uh, domain of language. Uh, I think uh, judges or policymakers don't want uh, like a quote unquote non-Chinese uh, IP owners or Chinese IP owners to misuse, abuse the IPs. So that kind of uh, dialogue has been there for, for quite a long time. But now um, given what's been happening the last uh, four or five years, um, it's been during uh, Trump administration, uh, all the trade sanctions or the cutting off the supplies of the chipsets to uh, companies like Huawei, making all this uh, thinking uh, quite complicated now. So people are even talking about, uh, hey, we need to make sure the security on the, on the IP. We don't want to be like uh, being cutting off on the, on the, like, uh, the, the supply chain, uh, even uh, in, in the IP area. I personally don't really quite understand how that can be linked together. But uh, when people uh, equals IP to, uh, to innovation or technology innovation, when they saw that the technology innovation at the core of the competition between China and the US, the IP is somehow be really geopolitical sized. 
Um, now, when when people reading about today's news, uh, we have you know, people saw that wow, you know, the or the new the Biden administration or European Commission talks about China more like a strategic competitor. There's a, like a rivalry. There's a com, 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 serious competition between these two countries. So somehow IP is um, is all you know been put under very different lights. So that's why, you know, Hugh, I really think this is getting very, you know, that's why I said it's, we are in a very different era now. So how does that affect you as a practitioner? Is this above here and, uh, you know, sometimes you have to think about it, or is it settling down so that these concerns uh, for your international clients are uh, more important each day? Well, when I, uh, when I do my uh, advice, to my clients, um, I do put it to different uh, distinctions. I, you know, a part of the advice is more about the logic of the law, logic of the IP, and the logic of the, the Chinese procedures. What does it mean? What's the implication? Whether the, where, you know, whether there's a flaw or not. Another part is that um, I keep going to is this is uh, the policy context. I, I trying to uh, explain to my clients uh, in, um, in, in policy context. Uh, before I talk more about the IP con the policy context, now I find myself often to have to figure something in a more um, you know, geopolitical aspect, international relations, how China looking, uh, looking at the world, how China uh, looking at maybe the next stage of the free trade agreements. How China looking at the, the U.S.-China phase one agreement? We, we have to put a lot of things in the, in, a, in a policy context. It's uh, it's um it's it's actually challenging, also very interesting. It's actually make our job more interesting. Although um, the, um, the 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 answer it's um it's much more complicated. Yeah, well, normally my experience has been. If you tell a client that it's a very interesting issue, it scares the life out of them because that just means more litigation, I more know. things, and they and they can't predict, and uh, and they're going to be paying the lawyer more than they maybe they thought they were going to do. But so, okay, uh, Chinese Supreme Court uh, issued a ruling on jurisdiction. Uh, and there seems to be a Beijing court view and a Shanghai court view. What, what is that all about? Or am I wrong on that? Uh, you're not that uh, far away from the, <laughs> from the reality. Um, one thing very interesting is that uh, China um, set up this is, uh, uh, um, the, the Supreme Court's IP court on a model of the, your federal circuit. Right? The idea is to uh, make more uniform, more consistent standard in IP, in the patent cases and the trade secret cases. That's a very uh, admirable goal uh, that has been started for a couple of years. Um, even before that, China set up the, you know, a dozens of uh, the specialized IP courts on the, on the intermediate, intermediary court level with like uh, your federal district court. And then um, on top of that, now we have the, the Supreme Court IP courts uh, as our federal circuit. So um, our federal circuit has issued, um, you know, a quite a number of uh, this model cases as a guidance. We do not have this uh, precedent uh, stereodesis system in China, but uh, we are learning more from the, the common law system and the issue more guidance, uh, the guiding cases to reflect the, the ongoing changes. So sometimes we do see that there's a different the, the different approaches uh, in um, among the Beijing court, Beijing specialized IP court and Shanghai specialized IP courts. Sometimes some some you know, Shanghai courts are more innovative. Sometimes the Beijing courts are more open-minded on certain issues. Now um, the the Supreme Court IP court um, arguably has uh, gathered some of the most senior, most experienced. Uh, even the U.S. educated judges there, um, they are um, they are becoming more and more active. They're also working very hard. I'm I'm very often very sympathetic. Uh, okay, which court is this? Notes. This is the Shanghai court. Su no, Supreme Court. Uh, Supreme Court in Beijing, the IP oh, court. Okay, okay, our, okay. Our federal circuit. Our federal okay, circuit. Okay, okay. Yeah, gotcha. And so, it you're saying then it's also it's a leader. It's an intellectual leader as well. 
Um, the, the leader is. Uh, in terms of, all right, what do other courts look to? Does the Shanghai court uh, look to what's going on in Beijing and vice versa, or are they all in their, basically their own worlds? And so if I'm a practitioner, I really have to know what they're doing there as opposed to something broader or, or what? How is it working? Um, both actually, we do look at a, like for example, we, we do looking at a, the, the, the leading cases uh, done by the, the Shanghai IP court. And, uh, and also we, we need to be aware that what the, the Supreme Court of IP, Supreme Court IP court would do, our federal circuit to make it easier, our CFC is going to do. One thing we are seeing is that uh, our judges, because Chinese judges are relatively young, to be honest, when, when we say most senior, most experienced, and they're probably just having maybe five more years than those, their colleagues in Shanghai court. And our, our judges, IP judges are relatively more, much more educated. Um, and so they, they, they are quite confident. They're, they're learning a lot from the, maybe the US cases, European cases to do the comparison. They have regular seminars among themselves. Um, so sometimes we saw there's some kind of a competition as well. So we better learn all the cases um, in the in a different area when, when we go to that court. Oh, that's mm. interesting. Uh, the so how, do you have a lot of the, you? Let's say you have a foreign client and it has a Chinese-wide issue. Uh, how much discretion do you have as to where you can bring the case? Um, we are relatively um, flexible because China um, has this, uh, you know, China is not a federal system. It's, it's um, you know, for the, all the courts, it's like a single, single system, single court. So whenever, for example, in the patent cases, whenever we, we can find an infringement item in that city, we can basically file that case in that city just by you know, suing both a distributor, reseller, and the manufacturer. So we have relatively more flexibility. Uh, but in reality, we still uh, think that uh, the courts in uh, Beijing, Shanghai, uh, Guangzhou, or Shenzhen are more mature. So for the enforcement cases, uh, at, you know, the plenty of type of cases, we still go to uh, more of the major courts. Uh, but I know uh, sometimes we also advise our, some of our more uh, risk-taking clients to try some of the, the newer IP course in, um, in other cities. When those cities are also quite a major one, they probably have uh, also have 10 million people as well, uh, but the, they, they may not have you know, uh, a, a more experience uh, in patents or trade secret cases than those in Beijing or Shanghai. Okay, well, just between, let's say, Beijing and Shanghai, is there ever a situation where you say, well, this really should be in Shanghai, or this really should be in Beijing, but there is not enough of a difference that would drive you to one or the other, or because of as what you said about the Beijing court, uh, more educated, maybe more uh, thoughtful or modern, uh, well, right now, right now we all have a view. Um, also, part of the, the reality, you know, like the Beijing courts are uh, the Beijing IP courts really loaded with a ton of uh, cases, so they're getting a bit slower. Uh, really, not their fault. When we say slow, we're talking about two or three years <laughs> compared to like one year we've been used to before. So um, sometimes uh, we are probably willing to try Shanghai or Shenzhen. They are uh, they are getting faster. No, we're talking about plenty of cases. And, and also some of the local courts like the Pudong district in Shanghai, they are very progressive. They don't deal with the patent cases, but they are really open. They are really progressive in uh, like a copyright cases or unfair competition cases. They are, you know, China is not a, the, the case law system, right? It's, uh, lots of things depend on how you interpret the statutes like unfair competition law. So we, we, we definitely saw that, uh, you know, the Shanghai, the Pudong district, where that this, uh, it's, it's like a real Manhattan in the New York. Uh, the Pudong district is like a, your New York is, you know, Southern district. Um, so they're very open-minded. And then, so for some of the cutting edge uh, copyright cases or unfair competition cases, I probably would suggest my client to try with uh, like Pudong district court. Uh, thinking about Southern district and all that, are there any, would you say there, 
stark differences at all be, between bringing the same case in the US and China? Um, as a plaintiff, um, yeah. I, I know there's a view that um, uh, in recent years, or even for decades, uh, the protection of uh, like the software patent cases oh, the, are, are being weakened, right? I think uh, for some reason yes. your picture, I'm seeing your picture rather than you. Right, right. I just, I, I just turn on my video. I just turn oh. on my video. Yeah, I know because uh, I'm, I'm watching uh, the power. <laughs> um, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So I, I think in terms of uh, finding cases between U.S. and China, um, there are. I know there are some uh, that always the no dialogues. You know, based on what I learned from uh, from foreign IP conference, right? They always talk about the weekend path enforcement in the U.S. Uh, in China, um, it's a faster, um, but somehow we know that it's still not a very certain. And that's why I said that China needs to uh, really go through some big tests, especially on the, on the patent litigation. When we talk about the, the cases between big rivals, when we talk about uh, maybe the major, my patent owner suing maybe major you know, Chinese uh, defendants, whether those outcomes will be really credible or be trusted. By uh, by the by the global community, I think that's something still need to be tested. So we know some of the patent owners uh, have uh, uh, done some tests. Uh, we also help on some of the cases. The results are mixed. The results are really mixed. Um, so that's why you know, people, be, uh, some of my um, uh, colleagues at the firms, I know they 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 say, wow, China really really fast. But uh, I, on the China patent litigation, they said it very, very fast, very quick. But we know that in our experience, it's, uh, it's not that uh, consistent, mm -hmm. um, especially if uh, for a US company or foreign company, it brings you know, broader cases based on some uh, complicated patents. It's, uh, the results may not, be, the, the speed may not be as fast as you, you wish. And in the, in, the, in the recent years, the pharmaceutical uh, patent owners are also find it quite troublesome in some of the validity you know, cases. Um, so now, but the, the only diff, the thing is that uh, the stake in China become much harder. Uh, the stake in China markets become much bigger. That's why whether this is better than the, than, than the US or Germany, I mean, in terms of our system or consistency, um, still, companies are getting more and more serious about, um, you know, um, litigating in, in Chinese courts. At least they, uh, whether whether they want to enforce their patents or IP here, or they want to watch whether they might be brought into the lawsuit here. Um, one interesting thing in China um, is that uh, we saw lots of um, uh, patent cases, lawsuits are happening between the firms. Um, that um, you know uh, may be going to IPO, going to be listed in capital markets. Um, this is uh, ha uh, this happens uh, more and more often now uh, when the company uh, prepared to be uh, to be listed to do the IPO. There's always some kind of patent litigation filed by their competitors or the dominant player in that uh, in that industry. And that actually show that's probably one of the evidence to show that um, Chinese patent litigation system becoming uh, more and more uh, useful or given more weight by um, by 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 Chinese companies. Okay, uh, let's move over to antitrust a little bit, anti-monopolies and things. Um, um, what's going on? Do you see changes? I see sometimes people talking about changes. Uh, what is what is what is the situation now in China and IP and antitrust? Um, that um, goes to what we um, spoke about at the very beginning. All this anti-suiting uh, injunction, antitrust law are being given to. Um, a renewed focus these days. Um, five, four, five or six years ago, antitrust law uh, played a big role when the government was investigating Qualcomm and other patent owners. Uh, this uh, big fine was imposed on Qualcomm. Uh, that case even preceded, right? Whatever happened um, to Qualcomm in the in the U.S. Um, 
in the last couple of years, the, it's sort of getting quiet. Uh, we, at least we did not see any big announcement about the investigation or the outcome on the patent owners based on antitrust law. But uh, just in the, in, in, in the last 12 months or so, um, in all those friend cases, um, the, the implementer are, are getting more aggressive. They are using the, the private lawsuits, uh, making claims on uh, antitrust violation, uh, saying that patent owners are uh, charging excessive uh, you know, pricing, uh, ask the courts to make a determination about the friend base. So somehow the, the antitrust and IP uh, related the disputes uh, become a hotspot. Uh, another related phenomenon is that uh, China you know, somehow now using the antitrust law to, to really investigate in the, the tech companies, the big online platforms, uh, whether it's Ant Financial or the other tech companies. This is sort of a little correlated to what's going on in the US as well. Um, so that's why the antitrust law becoming a, quite a popular topic these days. Now, in terms of expertise, uh, would you say the Chinese courts, uh, if you brought an antitrust suit, uh, that they would be trying to figure it all out before they do anything? Or are there enough of those around that there's a body of law that uh, the, the courts, at least some of the sophisticated courts can deal with it very easily. So what's been driving the, the antitrust investigation is the, uh, the enforcement authority regulators on the, we call on the government side, be like your uh, DOJ or FTC. The, the courts have been um, you know, handling, hand, you know, handing down various uh, antitrust decisions uh, but mostly on uh, um, on the on the more uh, traditional antitrust cases, um, not like a resale price maintenance, uh, the the RPM, uh, lots of cases in that area. Uh, we so far we have not seen any uh, uh, significant cases uh, done by the court in the IP uh, area. You know, there's uh, there was one like a case about refusal to deal uh, claim against the Japanese companies um, on the IP licensing. Uh, but I thought that case still pending for, uh, you know, without trial for at least uh, four or five years. Um, so this is, that's why this is probably part, part of the big test I'm, um, I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting uh, the antitrust regulators like in our country, the FTC and the antitrust division, uh, the FTC was created because of nothing else was going on. And uh, uh, so people were concerned that there was gonna be no really check on monopolists, what they think and everything else. And, the, and so there was a heyday of that, but now the FTC, uh, you know, our FTC has a mechanism where they can try the case between their own judges and everything else. Well, actually you notice recently, they're not even doing that. One is because mm. it takes a lot of time, but two, that leads them to a certain court of appeals who might not, you know, uh, enamored of what the FTC is doing. So they're just actually going into court like any other, uh, any other litigant and finding that that's a better way for them to go. And our antitrust division, uh, you know, goes through spurts, but depends on uh, which, president is in now more than it did in the past. Um, so, uh, so it'd be actually interesting to see what the Biden administration does in that area. But so I guess the same thing is true in China is that you can have the regulators, but um, they can be active or inactive. And then that means what the courts are going to be doing, active or inactive. And uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, not easy puzzle to figure out sometimes. Right, I, I'm, I'm, we, we are, one of the observation is that our regulator do not want their, their decision to be reviewed by the courts. But, well, they probably hate to be reviewed, right? By another branch of the, the government. Uh, one thing very interesting is that um, our regulator used to impose a big fine against a, a, a pharmaceutical company 
um, they were making this um, uh, active pharmaceutical ingredient, API ingredients. Uh, apparently, uh, the, the charge is that uh, they're manipulating the price by taking advantage of market position. Uh, it's a huge fine, hefty fine was imposed. A uh, little bit of tar surprise, uh, also excitement. Um, the company actually fought back and then filed this administrative appeal to the court. Uh, we don't see the result yet, uh, but this is uh, quite a, like a serious um, a challenge against the regulated decision. Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, um, oh, by the way, how, you, you started your own podcast, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> I uh, um, actually out of uh, inspiration of inspiration of your podcast um, uh, when I was visiting you uh, last time, I, I tried it out uh, during the, the COVID-19 time uh, last year, and I tried about uh, six episodes. Um, it's called an innovation uh, policy. <laughs> well, good. Um, well, I, yeah. I, I, I definitely want to listen to them. And you better not be stealing anything from me. I'm just telling you right now. Okay. Well, the, the idea is not a protectable. Oh yeah, you, know, you, you smart ass IP people. I'm telling you. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, let me think. Uh, friend setting. Uh, anything we should know about that? Um, we were just um, in the middle of it. Um, it's. Um, it's 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 a it's um it's a proceeding that I think um, all the stakeholders are uh, are trying to test out the system to see what uh, will come out. Um, so there are a um, couple of uh, cases, uh, big cases are are going on, and our uh, we hope that our judges will. Um, learn enough um, from all the best practice and then give a fair result. Of course, I personally, I do have a reservation um, even on uh, in what circumstances uh, the Chinese court should take on these cases. Um, right now, what's, um, what's um, it's quite disappointing is that uh, our, our, our courts actually allow the implementer simply to file the case under this, this uh, general vague uh, the contract dispute, even though there's really no contract uh, existing, they are basically we think they are abusing their uh, the, the 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 system to um, to 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 force the patent owner to to fight under the, the front rate in a court. The implementer find it desirable. This is um, I think this uh, the, the 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 problem. Uh, I personally trust that our judges are are capable. They could be capable. But actually, the way right now the jurisdiction is being handled, being exercised, I think that's uh, there. There, there's a big problem. Okay. And in other words, there's some unfairness uh, and maybe discrimination against non-Chinese. Uh, is that it's um well, it's not just really about uh, against the non-Chinese or Chinese, but somehow like, even the uh, Ericsson and Samsung cases are also somehow brought into Wuhan. Um, well, okay. So. so all right, it, it's uh, okay. So, at one point, you were thinking about, which I was very excited about, starting a branch of your law firm in the United States. What happened to that? Um, we are um, we're not giving up this idea. It's uh, we're always that uh, hoping uh, that uh, we can um, match the demands of our clients. Um, so this is uh, still part of our plan, uh, but uh, we are just actively watching you know, what we could do. And um, I think the most important thing is um, where we can uh, find the, the good partners. But in any way, we already have lots of good friends in the US. I'm not uh, so stuck whether we have to open the office in the US. We, um, may, um, we're open, we're just open for all the possibilities. Okay. Did you I didn't with, with a, some little bit of background. I didn't get the so if you did, you could choose the West Coast, the East Coast, New York, San Francisco, LA to do it. Is is there any thought about where the the best place to have to start out would be? <laughs> I'll pick some place uh, close to you. 
<laughs> the best place, of course, would be New York. Uh, and why I say that is you can have a bunch of Europeans come to New York for various reasons. They can stop off and talk to your firm. Uh, no one is as, if you go, as far as Europe concerned, I don't know if they ever go to the West Coast. But if, to, to, to bring in more European clients at almost no cost to them, where they could, you know, huddle or talk or something with uh, your law firm, uh, no travel expense. Uh, if, you have, if you're in New York, you had an office in New York, you, you could start, and that of course, I think could generate other things. Anyway, it's just a thought. And I do want 30% of any revenue from New York. I mean, I was just warning you right yeah. now. Yeah, I would say that um, uh, that would be, um, that would be a really a symbol of my um, appreciation to, um, to you and to, uh, to your conference, which has uh, started my, my practice. Well, um, and, 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 and uh, you're going to be there this year, right? Well, as soon as the board is open, as soon as you announce your, um, your, your the Fordham International IP conference. Yeah, good. Mm -hmm. um, just trying to think. Um, all right, so to yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, everyone else, uh, April eighth and 9th, be there or be square. Uh, now, what is the best way for some Western company? Um, you know, there's some fear of going into the Chinese system, whether it's justified or not, maybe from past actions or, or, or whatever. What, what, is a, what is a way that um, people can sort of uh, become more comfortable maybe bringing actions there? Is it, of course, they could hire your law firm. Oh, but. Well, this is, um, this is a more like, um... I don't know whether it's the right analogy. I, 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 I just thought that there may be some a uh, little bit of wisdom. Um, it's a bit like someone right, really, really overwhelmed. They want to get a fit. Um, it's always, it's, um, um, you sort of know what should be done, but it's very hard to start or not sure you can uh, keep it up. Um, I think coming to a, a very different system, which is may not be comfortable, probably the practical way uh, assuming right, it's uh, the business justify it. The practical way is um, get, getting something small done, getting some a small victory. Um, so build up the muscle gradually. Uh, don't try to test the system right with your with the most significant uh, system uh, problems to 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 test it out. You're gonna be you can easily become a martyr. Um, ideally, you, you start from something small and have a strategy and then build it up. And that's uh, one very important part. The other way is that uh, making friends and be part of the group, be part of the uh, business alliances, getting all this uh, right advice, learning from each other, borrowing people. Um, China just, um, I, I, I think it is a more and more important markets. We're consuming a lot more. <laughs> We're learning from the US. I don't know whether it's a good thing to learn. We're consuming a lot more. We import a lot more. So I think all this, um, the, the serious business want to come to this market. And then there, there are just a lot of opportunities. And of course, stake is high, the challenges, the, the risks are there. Okay, that's good advice. Okay, final question. Uh, what is, is, if there is, uh, do you have any future goals as a lawyer? You've pretty much done it all. Um, what is your next step or is there's no need for next step? You're already there. What, what, what's going on with you in the future? Well, Chinese lawyers are not American lawyers. We all call lawyers. Okay. The role, the expectation of lawyers are, are quite a, well, quite a different. The, the career paths of lawyers here are different from the career paths of lawyers in the U S. So I want to build my law firm into a very high quality one. And uh, we actually uh, putting myself, putting ourselves into this uh, geopolitical consultation we call a global affairs consultation in a way that uh, we want to give more guidance uh, to uh, especially to the to ambitious, responsible Chinese companies to go overseas. Of course, we want to help the 
the multinational companies uh, to steer away in, in China. So that's more a consulting part. Um, my, some of my partners are working on that. I'm also um, you know, quickly picking it up to be the good strategist. Um, we are just hoping that the kind of a combination of a service can build somehow providing the next generation of, um, of, of, the, of the firm. Oh, sounds great. Um, well, Jing, uh, thank you very much. Uh, this has been fantastic. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to discuss before we close? I just um, just so much more uh, looking forward to, to 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 coming back to New York, visiting you, be part of the learn debate, and have fun with you and all our friends in the conference. Yeah, oh, excellent, <laughs> yeah. excellent, and I'm looking forward to it too. All right, well, thank you very much. This has been great, uh, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in the near future. Yeah, thank you. Really, thank you for inviting me and giving me this uh, awesome opportunity. And then uh, please stay healthy, um, stay well. Um, yeah. Excellent. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye bye.